Welcome to Center Stage with international opera star Pamela Kuhn. And now, here is your host, Pamela Kuhn. Hello, everyone, and the curtain is up on Center Stage. When my guest, soprano Sandra Ravanovsky, first envisioned herself as a great operatic singer, she dreamed of reaping the rewards of her talent. In the 1990s, she arrived in New York City with a determination to become that star on the operatic stage. In 2016, the world is in no doubt that not only has she reached her early goal, but has resoundingly exceeded it. Operatic audiences have seen her reach the pinnacle of power as a singer who has graced literally every major opera house in the world. And this season, she took on the Herculean task of singing the three Tudor Donizetti queens in one season at the Metropolitan Opera. In the Met's 132-year history, this has never been achieved before. All, de- all artists desire legend status, but few achieve it. In Sandra's case, she can now put legendary status up with her many other awards and accolades. And with a humility that comes only with the most genuinely talented artist, she has built her career on hard work and determined focus. I know Sandra, and I recognize the level of work ethic and profound talent that exists at the core of her being. She has given the world the gift of electrifying singing with bel canto control that is, as Anthony Tomasini wrote in the New York Times recently, flawless. It was recently her birthday, and I have not given her a gift yet. And what is the gift that I can give to her? My greatest gift to her lies in a question today. What now becomes a legend most? Well, I can tell you, folks, it's Behind the radiant singing, it is the sublime smile and generous heart of soprano Sandra Radvanovsky. Welcome, my friend, to Center Stage. Thank you for having me. It is a delight, and I know you are resting right now before your final appearance as Elizabeth. Yes, show number 22 for the season. Oh, my gosh. Sandra, how how many performances have you given at the Metropolitan Opera? Uh, Tuesday will be 201. Isn't that exciting? I I don't know how it happened. I really (laughs) don't. In 20 years, I guess... Yeah, I guess that's what happens when you've been at the Metropolitan Opera for 20 years. Mm-hmm. It's amazing. Yeah. Time has gone by. Unbelievable. Now, in my ever-present desire to reveal to my audience that my artists are, like, real, where do you come from and what brought you to singing? Well, I was born um, in the suburb of Chicago and, uh, you know, moved around the United States. I now live in outside of Toronto. Mm-hmm. And um, always had a passion for singing. You know, it started with church choir, as so many people do. Mm-hmm. And it just blossomed into finding this art called opera because I watch Placido Domingo on television. Isn't that amazing? <laughs> yeah. Doesn't it go something like this that you turned to your mother and said, that's what I want to do? Yep. And she kind of patted me on the head and said, yes, dear. <laughs> And, you know, I was 11 years old, and here I am now, just, as you said, just had a birthday and turned 47 and haven't looked back from that day. And it's always been my drive and my goal and my passion was to be an opera singer. And 
wow, here I am. And you've achieved it. Yeah. And, and, you know, and now the circle is complete because actually Maestro Domingo is a big fan of yours. And he supports you and you've performed with him many times. Many times. You know, one pinches themselves. He was actually there the day of my birthday. I had a show on my birthday, and he was there with his lovely wife and congratulated me and wished me happy birthday. So, yeah, you know, this year has been full of so many moments like that for me where Mm -hmm. I just kind of pinch myself and say, wow, it's just come full circle. And, um, you know, doing this trilogy of the, the three Tudor queens has been so insightful and so overwhelming and such a complete journey that uh, I just don't think I can ever top this. I know, I know. (laughs) And for anyone out there listening who has not heard the massive media blitz this year about Sondra Ravinovsky tackling the Tudor trilogy of Donizetti, you have to understand that she has performed the lead roles in Anna Bolena, Maria Stuarda, and Elizabeth and Roberta Devereux. And the thread that runs through each one has been commanding singing that is dark, dark and brilliant with electrifying control and agility. And your acting prowess, Sandra, has been so exciting and memorable. Thank you. We, re- we really, Sir David McVicker and I, the director of all three of these, um, we really set out to make each one of them completely, not just vocally different, but physically and acting-wise completely different and, and make them each individual characters as they were instead of making them kind of a compilation of a queen. Mm-hmm. And it's, it's really been a lot of work, but uh, very fulfilling for me. Oh, Let's just take a moment right now. Let's listen to the preghiera from Maria Stuarda, and this is Sandra Radvanovsky. that rapturous applause and indeed you deserve it how have you been able Sandra when you were doing Maria Stuarda the the middle opera you were already in rehearsal for Roberta Devereux how did you keep everything straight oh well to go backwards when I was still singing the Anna Bolena I was in rehearsals for (laughs) Maria Stuarda and then I was in performances of Maria Stuarda in rehearsals for Roberta Devereux I don't know how I did it I I honestly um there were a few moments where I was singing some cadenzas and some of the coloratura, and I thought, you know, I think that's from the other opera. I'm not quite sure. Yeah, and I had a little moment. Um, you know, we, we have a mutual friend in, in my coach, mm-hmm. Tony Minoli, and um, we rewrote for the HD broadcast of the Roberto Devereux, we rewrote one of the cadenzas the day before the HD broadcast, 
for the Viving Grato, the last aria in the last act, and I messed it up. So, you know, none of us are perfect, and, uh, you know, you just... You, you just keep going. It's the end of an almost perfect run, Sandra. We'll give you that one, okay? Okay. All the right. day before? Oh, my God. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Listen, up to this point, you have been compared to singers of the past, such as Maria Callas and Renata Tibaldi. Mm. But with your singing strength now at its pinnacle of glory, I think you've risen above comparison and finally made your footprint in history. Is there one particular role that you feel has given you that status more than any other? Boy, you know, it it really has been this, this slow and steady progression, I have to say, in that you know, I keep learning from each role that I do and each opera that I do and um, keep pushing myself further and further. I think there was a really big shift that came when I sang Norma here at the Metropolitan Opera two, two and a half years ago Mm -hmm. in that something in my technique or something in my psyche really shifted into high gear. And I think that that was a true turning point. So I would have to say that that probably was the moment and then now doing the three queens, for sure the Deborah, I think, is, is you know, the feather in my cap of the three, not just because of the singing, but because of the characterization and because of the acting. And, and I was the one who originated. It's a new production. So I was really given my choice of movements and not really following somebody else's choices, but my choices. And um, so the combination of those two, I think the Norma and this Roberto Deborah, really are like the pinnacle of what I've done, I think. Yeah, really solidly into the bel canto repertoire for you. Yeah. I've, I've always been fascinated by the trajectory of this career and the roles mm. you've chosen, you know, as, as you're talking about. Um, you've conquered all the major Verdi roles, and uh, Alex Ross of The New Yorker cited your Verdi aria recording as one of his choices of the best of list in, in 2010. Um, do you do you foresee any more Verdi coming into your life in the near future? Absolutely. I think, you know, they're so closely related. Mm-hmm. I think Belcanto really is the predecessor for all of that Verdi. And I mean, it, w- it wasn't too long after that Verdi wrote some of his very early operas, which are just deeply rooted in the Belcanto tradition. And, and it's really interesting. After I sang the first set of the Anna Bolena here back in September and October, I went and sang Menon Lescaut and Tosca in Berlin, mm-hmm. and it made it even better technically, singing those two operas. Interesting. Yeah, and I, I you know, I'm, I, I'm never one to take the, the easy road <laughs> in my career. <laughs> and, you know, coming from singing Verdi and Puccini, and then taking basically a step backwards to sing all of this bel canto, really has made my technique even stronger. So, yes, there's more Verdi coming up. Um, there's a new production of Forza del Destino here at the Metropolitan Opera, not next season, but the season after. Mm-hmm. And I'm doing my very first Simone Bocanegra ah. in concert in, yeah, in, in, gosh, about a year from now. So, absolutely. And maybe we'll keep adding more and more Verdi after that. And can I just ask you, are the Aida and the Tosca, were these real love and and passionate uh, kind of projects on your part that you wanted to pursue? Absolutely. Well, listen, any good singer, as you know, has to have somebody that guides them, and they have to have their support system, people, just a handful of people that they really trust, Mm -hmm. and that 
with is and was my old manager and now my new manager who I just signed with two and a half years ago and my coach and you know frequent collaborator in in recitals Tony Manoli and mm-hmm. these are people that I I trust implicitly and when they say listen Sandra I think we should start looking at this then you know I it's a collaboration so yes Aida and Tosca are roles that we really thought long and hard about when to add them, not if, but when. Exactly. Um, exactly. And I think that we added them at the perfect time. I really do. I think you did. You brought them in earlier rather than later. Yeah. And uh, it, it's it's admirable on your part. You speak of Anthony Minoli. Um, I don't know if you realize he was my very first guest on my radio show. Was he? Mm-hmm. Thank and you. I think you would also agree that in today's world for singers, you really do need a team, don't you? A absolutely. team you can absolutely trust. It's yeah. not just one person anymore. No, no. And I am lucky. I have my husband, and I have my manager, Jonathan Letts, and I have Anthony Minoli and Miguel Larin, my Spanish agent. And those are really the people that I go to for direction and guidance. And the rest of the other people, everyone has an opinion, but these are the people that have known me for 20-plus years. And one can't just throw that away and dismiss any of their comments. Mm-hmm. Absolutely. Just just tell me personally, how hard is it to, to live a normal life at this point in your career? <laughs> Define a normal life first. Mm-hmm. Yeah. <laughs> Singers aren't normal. I tell all my students that. Yeah. Um, but, yeah, you know, it's funny because in Roberta Devereux, you have this wonderful David McVicker production, of course, where all the court are staring in, into Elizabeth's private life as if, you know, there is some sort of imminent uh, criticism, you know. Um, oh, yeah. You know, uh, and so... Do you feel that in your own personal life a little bit? Absolutely. Art imitating life, life imitating art. You know, they're so, they're so woven together. And, of course, any time you open your mouth, you are, as a singer, as you know, uh, open for criticism. Mm-hmm. And, um, you know, one has to understand that this business comes with it. But what we do with that criticism is on our shoulders. Mm-hmm. People mm-hmm. can say whatever they want to about us, but about my singing, and we're only as good as the last performance that we give. <laughs> Even if you know you give this amazing performance, the next one is awful. Then they'll say that's the demise of her voice and her career, and she's going downhill. But you know, quite frankly, if if a singer has a very strong and healthy personal life, mm-hmm. I think that that helps balance their life out in the public eye. Mm-hmm. There's and no question. Mm-hmm. In, in, in a way, it's, it's almost like I'm a split personality. I have that, that personality that I call Sandy Singer, you know, <laughs> and she's the opera singer, and that's two people that don't know me get to see. Mm-hmm. But then there's a personal side of me that not, you know, one has to keep it close to their chest and, and really value that because my personal life is the only thing that I am in control of in my life. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And so I guard that very strongly. And in that same vein, how hard is it with travel plans? I mean, do you t- try and have a lot of off off days in between or not? Well, is that a know, luxury? <laughs> <laughs> well, the, the, the further along one gets in their career, and um, I guess the more important or whatever one gets, the less of that happens. But I think with the repertoire that I sing, it's so important to rest the voice. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, I'm singing these long, 
operas that are technically very difficult and physically, like this Roberto de Verreux, mm-hmm. very taxing. And, you know, I want to choose when I stop singing and stop my career. I don't want to be forced to stop singing because I've done too much or I've done too much too soon. Mm-hmm. And I just think finding that balance in in your life is so important. So, yes, we try to find, you know, a day here, two days there, um, and of course, my manager would love to clone me and, you know, have four of me because there's <laughs> enough work for four of me. But, you know, ultimately, it's my life and I have to be happy mm-hmm. because that's what makes me sing well. So I think rest is so important, not just for the voice, but for the body and the mind. Absolutely. You know, it it's so wonderful to hear you speak like this because I remember first meeting you when you were in the Young Artist Program at yeah. the Met, in the Lindemann Program. Yeah, I know. And you were just starting out, and we were just watching you take off like like a 747. It was fantastic. Mm. And it's so great to be able to talk, in, talk to you now on this level. Um, oh, thank you. Getting back to um, Elizabeth and Roberta Devereux, let's let's talk about the demands of the depth in creating your character. I'm, I assume this has really been tested as an actor, but like any actor's greatest role, you seem to be thriving in the part. And I, I know there has been much talk about the complicated makeup with prosthetics to age. Mm. How hard has this been to deal with your singing? Well, that's, that's a very good question. We... Um Elizabeth, as everyone knows, had smallpox, and of course her her complexion was quite pockmarked. And we really wanted to show that off and also show the age of a 69-year-old. Um, and me being 47, you know, one has to do something to make the skin look more aged and wrinkly. And, and we, we played around with latex and all of that on the face, which is fine and good for an actor who doesn't have to sing. But when one has to sing it gets in the way. Mm-hmm. And so mm-hmm. we played around with it, and ultimately it just got in the way of my technique. And so that also, it was a two-hour minimum process to, to mm. get all of this on the face. And, you know, when you're looking at the HD broadcast starting at 1 p.m., mm-hmm. you know, two hours plus for makeup, a half an hour to get into the first costume, and then one has to sing and warm up. So I was looking at coming into the opera house at 8 o'clock in the morning for a 1 o'clock show, and it just was too much. Mm-hmm. So we just mm-hmm. went with the, the standard white face, as everybody you know, knows that Elizabeth looked like and wore the lead white paint on her face. Um, and I think it was effective in, in that. And then, of course, the acting, which you ask about, is... Um, it took it was a long process for me i have to say that finding the gestures of elizabeth the 1st and really making it my own but still being true to who elizabeth was mm-hmm. as a person um and doing the research on how she what we know about her you know and what she did and that you know it was a fascinating journey for me really getting inside of her so that's fantastic. And I know you've spent a lot of time in London, so certainly you were in the right place to do research. Yes. Yes, when I was there the last time, we went to the Tower of London, you know, and I wanted to see, to to walk in the same places that she walked, you know, and to experience what it must have been like. And then to kind of put that, as we say, in our pocket and pull it out when I needed it and, and all of that. And it was it was really, and having Sir David McVicker 
who this is his heritage, being mm-hmm. Scottish and British, and to really feed me little bits of information as I needed that information, finding the character. And it was just such a joy. Oh, that's fantastic. I will always remember the body language you assumed on stage, your wobbly nature with the cane, the wigs, the prosthetics, this Gloriana costume. It's all f- so fantastic. For in- anyone who out there who's not been, they must not miss Roberta Devereux, which has its last performance tomorrow night. Mm-hmm. On the eve of that, Sandra, what what are you thinking right now? Is it is it it's time to go home and I'm tired? Oh, or yes, <laughs> <laughs> basically yes. Um, no, you know what? It's it's been the last few days have been very overwhelming for me after we had the live in the cinema this last Saturday, the broadcast, which actually is going to be in a lot of cinemas. If people can't make just as an aside, mm-hmm. they can't make the last show tomorrow night. I know that they're having a rebroadcast. Um, in many places around North America, Wednesday. So check with your theaters if you can't make the show on Tuesday and you are interested. A lot of the cinemas will will play it Wednesday. Mm-hmm. Um, but yeah, it's been it's been very retro introspective for me and kind of um, just summing it all up in my mind these past six months of my life and and what I've achieved and what I've done and where I've been and how far I've pushed myself and all the people that have been there on this journey with me and have helped me achieve this this fantastic thing. And, you know, it's it's kind of bittersweet because I don't want it to end, mm-hmm. but my body and my voice are telling me it's time to end and to go and take a little bit of a break and... Um, to regroup and find the next big project for me to do. Absolutely. So everyone, let's hear an excerpt from Roberta Devereux with your wonderful colleague, Matthew Polinsani, who has been on this show as well. This is the duet Nascondi Frena Il Palpiti. Exciting stuff, Sandra. Thanks. That's one of my favorite parts of the opera. I can imagine. I can imagine. You two are so in sync there, and I, I absolutely love it. And I, uh, kudos to Matthew Polinsani. He has yeah. really come into his own right now in a very exciting way. Yeah. Wow. such a great colleague. And you had the dream cast for uh, these operas, didn't you? I know. I know. <laughs> Alina Garancha. I mean, amazing voice. 
Oh, oh, I know. I know. Oh, Incredible. Spectacular. Like, like butter. And Matt Polinsani and Mario Kavishan and Maurizio Benini conducting. I mean, it just has been, they couldn't have done any better casting that opera, I really think. And the music is so difficult for all of you. I'm sh- mm. sure at one point, all of you just wanted to say, can't we just stand here and sing? You know, <laughs> forget the costumes. Let's just, let's just do this. You know what? And it's really interesting. None of us ever ever even thought about it. We just jumped in, all mm-hmm. four of us principals. I think we really jumped in 150%. Oh, it's really incredible. And Sir David McVicker, I think, brought out the best in all of us. I'm glad to hear that. So I have one final question for you, my dear. Okay. And it comes from one of my voice students. And I know you're really interested in young singers and helping them. Mm-hmm. And at this point, you really don't have time. But I'm just going to ask this question um, for one of my students. She asks, young singers are so preoccupied with how they can keep believing in themselves. Mm. She wants to know, how did you keep believing? That's a very good question, and please tell her that. Um, mm, I will. You know, it was, it was a fire that was inside of my gut. And it was not an option to fail for me, mm-hmm. and it was never an option to do anything else. Mm-hmm. if that makes sense. It yes. was, I think everybody has a gift. Everybody's given a gift. Mm-hmm. And I found my gift very early on. And I just knew in my heart of hearts that I was supposed to be an opera singer. Mm-hmm. And I hope that doesn't sound egotistical. It just is something that I knew I was put on this earth to do. Now, that said, of course, there were moments when all of my, a lot of my colleagues, you know, the same age as me, were getting all these great offers and going and singing in London and Paris and Berlin, and, and here I am still studying away. And my husband and I always call it the story of the tortoise and the hare. Mm-hmm. And I was just this little tortoise going, I'm coming, I'm coming, I'm coming. <laughs> but, you know, I think, I think one has to believe in this business especially, that they're good enough and that they will make it. Because the moment doubt creeps in, mm-hmm. things fall apart. That's that's absolutely true. I think you make your own reality if you can just stick with it. Right. It's, it's the tenaciousness and the staying power, isn't it, Sandra? Right. But, you know, my generation of singers, too, I think we had more opportunities, unfortunately, mm-hmm. than yeah. this generation yeah, now. It's getting and, harder. Mm-hmm. And so I think the fortitude that they have to have is even stronger in a way. But I think the very, they have to work, this generation now is going to have to work twice as hard as we did mm. because there are less and less opportunities. Opportunities, I know, mm. I know. But keep at it. Fantastic answer. Thank you. And, you know, if there is one word that you would use to describe yourself, what would it be? (laughs) One word to describe myself. You can go for it. Oh, boy. You know, Pam, there are so many words that I would think, but, (laughs) you know, unusual. Unusual? I would have to say unusual. I have... Unique. How about that? I love Unique it. Unique is a better word because I don't have a traditional voice. Mm-hmm. I have not had a traditional career. Um, so I'm going to go with unique. I love it. Ladies and gentlemen, you've enjoyed the uniqueness and spirit of Sandra Ravanovsky. Sandra, thank you so much for being on Center Stage. Thank you. 
everyone, the curtain is now down. <laughs>